0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, we are tying together um, the last of uh, verses 12 through 18 here. We've been dealing with grumbling and disputing. Uh, In other words, the don't do that imperative of verse 14 and And then, the consequences, the benefits, which uh, I find enjoyable we 're going to go past that a little bit here this morning and talk about the um, the sacrifices that are then uh, mentioned in verses seventeen and eighteen sacrifices that we uh, we want to understand for what they are in our priesthood and the church age, even though it uses Old Testament language in order to communicate and so it 's kind of fun that we're getting this in, in, uh, Philippians at the same time that we're going through the book of Hebrews next hour, because the book of Hebrews is our priestly book, is our book on sacrifices, and what do we offer up as a sweet smelling savor, since we're not, uh, in the Old Testament any longer, we don't do animal ritual, or we don't have blood sacrifices or death sacrifices, but we present ourselves as living sacrifices. And how does this work? And then what else do we offer as believer priests? And so the priestly language of verses 17 and 18, I find uh, quite, uh, to me, it's fascinating. To me, it's a marvelous blessing to combine with Hebrews and to, uh, to bring our priesthood to life. So that's what we have here today. Before we do study any of this, though, it would do us no good to be out of fellowship. So let's take a moment for silent prayer and humble our hearts for the truth of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your Word this morning and the blessing and benefit that it is for us to assemble together we call upon your faithfulness, Father, to set aside our distractions, to hedge us about and protect us, and to, uh, to bless our study, Father. When we study the Bible, it's not earthly subject matter, it's uh, spiritual, Father, and we require your Holy Spirit to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, and so uh, in the process of working our way through here, uh, of course, we talk about no grumbling and no disputing. And uh, because that's the antithesis of fear and trembling. And so that was point four in the outline. The antithesis of fear and trembling is grumbling and disputing. So we don't want any part of that. And if we're going to imitate Israel in the, uh, in the grumbling and disputing uh, applications, then uh, we're in a lot of trouble because there's no excuse. It's in the Bible. The example's been set. We have the imperative and we have the example. And really, why do we want any part of that? Uh, but then it goes on. And this is a, this is a thrill to me under point five in verses 15 and 16. We recognize that grumble free service has benefits. There are temporal benefits. There are eternal benefits. Good things happen when we don't grumble or dispute. All right. And that's the so that language here that we see, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so there are benefits. And this to me is 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 exciting because you don't have anything like this in the Old Testament other than only one of the commandments. And When you go through the Decalogue, you know, it doesn't say thou shalt not murder so that, you know, or thou shalt not commit adultery so that, you know. Uh, I mean, any one of those sins has consequences if you do it and if you don't do it. But the, uh, but the Word of God does not include consequences for those prohibitions. See, here we have uh, consequences for the prohibition. So it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that. And the, the blessings of the church age, in my mind, are not, are going beyond, um, legalism, going beyond an Old Testament obedience, going beyond a bond servant mentality. Uh, law in Old Testament is very much a bond-servant mentality. Whereas in the New Testament, under grace, it's very much a sonship mentality. We are sons of God the Father. And He not only tells us what to do and what not to do, but He tells us why and the purpose and the objective and the goals. And, and we're not slaves, we're, we're children. Remember that from Galatians? We are children. As long as we're still little kids, you know, there's no difference between a son and a slave, we're just little kids. But when we grow up, The son is a son, is an adult son, and we're not under law, we're under grace. So I think all these things come together in quite an interesting way, and we have this so that you approve yourselves, and this is the blessing in time. Then the blessing in eternity is the confidence we have at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. As it says in verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory. And uh, the day of Christ, we have this to look forward to, the rapture of the church and the judgment seat of Christ immediately following the rapture of the church. And we have cause to glory. We have cause to be confident in ourselves and in one another. And so we have uh, some blessings there. Uh, wrapping up then with point six. Now we had some sub points here, and I'm not going to repeat what we did Wednesday night this present testimony to the crooked and perverse generation. If we don't have this, if we're not different from the world around us, what happens? We become the crooked and perverse generation. And that's what we saw in Deuteronomy 32.5. The children of Israel who should have been a holy people instead, they were the ones that Yahweh called crooked and perverse. And he, he judged them for that. He was displeased with them for that. So, Uh, we should be manifesting the light of heaven to this fallen world. There should be something different about how we live and how we conduct ourselves. People should look at us and know that something is different as we manifest the light of heaven to this fallen world. Faithfully uh, walking in this life supplies a great confidence for the imminent day of Christ. Are you ready for judgment day? Are you ready if judgment day is today? Are you ready? are you ready, right? There's a gospel quartet piece that sings that song. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay? Because today could be the day. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming, right? There's a great day coming by and by. Now, the, the, the key, though, is we, we're presently walking in the light so we don't shrink away from Him in shame. And so I'm not going to, again, teach everything we did Wednesday night, but 1 John two twenty eight really is undeniable. And so people they can read it for what it says and then, you know, deal with it, okay? Uh, it says what it says. And so wrap your mind around it and humble yourself before the Lord. It says, now little children, abide in Him. Abide in Him. That doesn't mean get saved. They're already saved. They've been saved the whole book. He's, he's talking to believers that should have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. That's what abide in Him is all about so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Two diametrically opposed reactions. And you're going to hear the trumpet, and you're going to hear the shout. <laughs> okay, And, uh, you know, we can debate who's doing the shouting there in that text. It's the trumpet of God. It says, the Lord Himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. So... Who's doing the shouting? I think the Lord's doing the shouting, but, you know, I guess that's debatable. Who's going to do the shouting? I suspect a lot of people here on earth are going to have a shout when uh, they hear the trumpet and they go, oh no, is that today? (laughs) Right? Not now. Because they're not ready. And they've not been ready and they're not getting themselves ready. They're not abiding in him. How many born again believers are not abiding in him? Because to abide in Christ means you've got to live in the word. And there's an awful lot of uh, born-again people that aren't disciples, that aren't living in the Word. In any event, we want to have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame. And So that's the contrast there. You can look up uh, the, the other text as well. Uh, Philippians 1, 6 and 10, Philippians two sixteen, and 1 Corinthians 1, 8. The coming day of Christ, just recognize the day of Christ is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord from the Old Testament is a day of wrath and judgment. It's a day of God's dealings uh, with the Gentile nations, his dealings with Israel. The day of the Lord is, comes after the day of Christ. And we want to be clear on that. The rapture precedes the tribulation of Israel. Now, as we get back to verses 17 and 18 then, Paul closes this third exhortation with another consideration that his physical death was imminent. His physical death was imminent. This is verses 17 and 18. And this is the conclusion. Remember, there were three exhortations in the first half of this chapter. And uh, following this third exhortation, the rest of the chapter is given over to uh, some travel arrangements and given over to some commentary pertaining to Timothy and pertaining to Epaphroditus. Um, And so really, uh, verse 18 here closes the first half of the chapter and closes this third exhortation. We had the uh, make my joy complete. We had to have this mind in you. And then the third one is uh, the work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All right. So verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Alright, so here's the conclusion, and it is. It's a consideration, once again, that he may be on the verge of physical death. That the outcome of this uh, pris- imprisonment might be his death. And uh, he doesn't know that. He, he doesn't know which to root for, which to hope for. He's gone back and forth in his mind several times, and he's gone back and forth in this uh, in this uh, letter several times, talking about if I stay or if I go. And uh, And really, he kind of settled on the fact that he is going to stay. You might remember from chapter 1 and verse 25, he said, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so he'd come to a conviction that he was not going to die, that he was going to be released, that he would return to Philippi, that he was going to have ministry with the Philippians again. Okay, And yet, convinced of that, he still realizes, you know what? We don't know the future. It's up in the air. God's in charge. And you can be convinced of something that turns out not to happen. Okay? God could put you under a conviction and then change the circumstances in the meantime. So those, uh, those things become important also. But even if... Now, when he talks about his physical death, he's going to start to use priestly language, priestly terminology even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. What's a drink offering? Let me pause and drink while we illustrate. All right. That was not an illustration of a drink offering. Neither was that. All right. When I'm taking a sip of my drink, that's not a drink offering. Because a drink offering, I'm not going to demonstrate, okay? If, (laughs) you know, the girl that, that, that uh, vacuums and cleans, uh, you know, is she, she going to like the fact I'm going to take my coffee and dump it out on the carpet? All right. A drink offering is poured out. A drink offering is not consumed. A drink offering, and we're going to see that, but it's not a blood offering. It's, uh, it's, it's typically wine, okay, not coffee, but, but uh, the wine that was uh, present in the, in the tabernacle, the wine that was present in the temple, the wine that was present in the feasting that, uh, that would take place in Passover and trumpets and all the different feasts that would occur. And that's what he uses. He uses drink offering terminology, which is the offering of being poured out, the offering of uh, being dumped. Okay, going into the ground. What happens when your wine hits the ground? What happens when your body hits the ground? Okay, what happens when your body is buried under the ground? All right, it's it's a metaphor as it references his physical death. But it references his physical death in spiritual terms, as in viewing your final assignment on this earth. Are you going to glorify Jesus Christ by your life? Or are you going to glorify Jesus Christ by your death? And the manner and means and method and timing and all the details surrounding how you die becomes a work assignment. And Paul uses priestly language to describe it. And not just here, by the way, several places where where he will do that. And so that's what we see here. So even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, now the there there is the Philippians, right? He's writing to the Philippians. And so now we have two different sacrifices at work. They have a sacrifice. It's the Philippian sacrifice and it's the Philippian service, okay? The sacrifice and service of your faith. And I think that we link those so the service of their faith is their sacrifice. And if we're going to counter, if we're going to understand this in an Old Testament way, that means they're bringing the, the goat. They're bringing the, the, the bowl or the burnt offering or whatever. They're bringing the animal. They're bringing the animal. Paul's bringing the wine. And they're working together on this. Okay, So they have a sacrifice, and Paul says, let me contribute to your sacrifice. And his con- contribution is the wine, say, pouring himself out to, unto death. And that's the, that's the imagery of this verse. And, and he's happy to do it. He's rejoicing to do it. To him, it's a privilege. And uh, and he wants to share that joy, gives him joy. And he wants to share that joy with them. And then he's going to invite them to make it reciprocal in verse 18. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So uh, in the details of this, we're going to see that our priestly function is such that we can enjoy our priestly function, but we should be sharing that joy in a fel- on a fellowship basis. And uh, today is a great day to learn this because we have a fellowship day in, uh, in this process. All right. So sub-point A then, Paul employed priestly language, and it's the priestly language of libation. You ever heard that word before? Libation. Not used very oftenly. In fact... Uh, Biblically speaking, unless you've got a King James or something with Elizabethan English, uh, they've done away with it in more modern texts. They they call it drink offering, okay? But libation is is the term. It's the priestly language of libation. I I meant to change that. The liturgical language of libation was going to be my my, uh, LLL alliteration. The liturgical language of libation. I I meant to change that. I feel bad. All right. But this is what he's talking about, being poured out. And so let's look at this in Exodus 29. Exodus 29, verses 40 and 41. Chapter 28 is a very long chapter. Chapter 29 is a very long chapter. (laughs) You can get lost in the details. And unless you stay current on it, you're going to. I mean, you just get rusty. If it's been a while since you've been in Exodus or Leviticus, then the stuff gets rusty. But let's uh, take a look. So we got sacrifices. And uh, first of all, you got to consecrate a priest. That's the first part of the chapter. And so they do that. And um, I I will not read this entire chapter to you this morning. I'm just going to skim details. All right. So in the early verses, we've got consecration as priests. This is what you shall do to, the, uh, to them, to consecrate them, to minister as priests to me. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish. So animals are going to die here. <laughs> but you're getting priests ready to serve, ready to minister. The point about being a priest is not just being a priest. Okay? It's not just a title where you have a status of being something. Or a, a title, an office where you have a particular robe or a garment and you can impress people, right? Because women like a man in uniform or whatever. You got, you know, so you're being a priest, you are dressed as a priest, but ultimately you are sanctified to serve as a priest. Because if you're not serving, what are you doing? So there's a bull, there's two rams, all without blemish and unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. So there's more than just dead animals. Okay. There's also these cakes. And uh, you shall put them in one basket, present them in the basket along with a bowl and the two rams and uh, bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, wash them with water. And that's why we have prayer time before Bible class. We have a time of cleansing. We have a time to confess our sins in prayer, be restored to fellowship. The the imagery here is being washed with water. You shall take uh, the garments and put on Aaron, the tunic and the robe and the ephod and the ephod and the breast uh, piece and gird him with a skillfully woven band of the ephod. Set the turban on his head, put the holy crown on the turban. Take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. We have an anointing ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit in the church age. The Holy Spirit comes upon every believer priest of the church age in the body of Christ. And we're all priests as well, by the way. You shall gird them with sashes. All right, so um, the sacrifices are offered. uh, They're dressed appropriately. They're cleansed. The animals are going to die here in verses 10 and 11. And uh, the blood's going to be applied. All right. Anyway, let me get down beyond the animals, beyond the cakes, beyond the bread. When you get down to verses 22 and 23, we notice what we're doing with the fat and the fat tail and the uh, fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of liver, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them. See, I feel better about having fat on my kidneys now. And, um, and the right thigh. Okay, the right thigh. What's the right thigh about? Boy, there's a lot in here. And then there's the cakes. Cake of bread and one cake of bread mixed with oil. One wafer from the basket. Put these in the hand of Aaron. He will wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. So waving them before the Lord. Got the motion there? All right, waving them before the Lord. Then um, consecrating the wave offering, the breast of the wave offering. All right, then, uh, then they get to eat. Verse 31, "Take the ram of ordination, boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and the son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket, the doorway of the tent and me. There was a lot of eating that took place, too. Now, this is simply for Aaron and his sons, and they're going to partake of this themselves. But there are other offerings that are brought, and the priests and the Levites get to eat with the people, with the the worshipers. So somebody comes in from, you know, Randy from the tribe of Reuben comes in, and he brings his animal. And uh, once the thing's dead, what are you going to do with it? Well, you're going to sit down, and you're going to eat. And you're going to eat with the priest. You're going to eat with the Levite. They're going to teach you from the law. You're going to talk doctrine while you're fellowshiping. Okay, that's what I hope happens in our fellowship time today. We're going to sit in the dining room, we're going to eat, and we better be talking doctrine, Say, as far as the process goes. All right, so there's a whole lot more. Uh, Down to verses 40 and 41. starting in verse 38 then, "...this is what you shall offer on the altar, two one-year-old lambs each day, continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight." So this is their daily offering all you know, every day. One in the morning, one at night. <clears throat> Again, the one lamb you shall offer in the morning, <clears throat> the other lamb you shall offer at twilight." And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering with the lamb. So there is a drink offering that goes with this, okay? This is the libation. This is the, the cup. And what do you do with this cup? You pour it out. You pour it out. You are not going to enjoy the wine. You pour it out. So, um, it's described there. Anyway, there's more. You can get more in uh, other chapters in uh, Leviticus and Numbers. Um, But let's go to Isaiah 53. Because when you're talking poured out as a drink offering, all of these sacrifices point ahead to Christ. <clears throat> and uh, the language in verse twelve, the conclusion of this whole chapter, really. But he is the sacrifice; he is the animal that was killed. Right, the, the burnt offering pictures him. But more than that, look how it ends. There, in verse twelve, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. I just want to read this one verse by itself. Understand this. He is our substitute. He is the Passover lamb. He is the uh, the sacrifice. And as it says here, verse 4, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. Jesus is the substitute. He takes our place. We're the sinners. We're the ones that were worthy of death, but Jesus takes our place. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So every sin I've ever committed, every sin I will ever commit, got placed on Jesus Christ and got judged. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And so he's going to die for our sins. Uh, Verses 10, verses 11, all these passages are speaking of this. So the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. And so this is the priestly language of the offerings. This is what he is. He is the guilt offering. That's why we no longer have to bear the guilt. The guilt has been paid for. The payment has been made. The father has been satisfied. A once and for all sacrifice has taken away the sin of the world. And he does so. Verse 11 says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. The passion of the Christ was a soul passion. And I know Hollywood can't present that visually so they can present a physical passion. They can they can show physical abuse and whipping and scourging and suffering and and sweats of you know great drops of blood and whatnot. But the soul suffering is uh, what this verse is discussing: the anguish of his soul, accepting the guilt for the sin of the world, billions of sins of by billions of people, and he accepts all of it. And so the Father sees it, and the Father is satisfied. This is the doctrine of propitiation here. The Father is satisfied, not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world, we're told. By His knowledge, the righteous one, My servant will justify the many. He is equipped to be the justifier so that we can be justified as He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot Him a portion with the great He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself. Now here we're adapting different kind of language, aren't we? We already had the guilt offering, we have the animal, we have the lamb imagery, we have the death portrayed, but here we have the drink offering portrayed as well. He is both the the dying animal and the drink offering. He supplies them both. He poured out his soul to death. So if you think about what, uh, what he did in his body, what he did in his soul, what he did in his spirit, they were all involved at Calvary. They were all involved. And uh, we're told his soul was the pouring out, was the drink offering. Happy to do it. Voluntarily did it. Willing to do it. As it was the Father's will. So he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. Even while he was hanging there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Interceding while he's on the cross. So that's the picture. And this is the priestly language. And so it's applied of Jesus. It's applied of Paul. Paul said he was ready to pour out his cup. He was ready to be poured out and viewed that as a sacrifice. I hope we're ready. If, If we're called upon to uh, to operate on this basis as well. Joel, Joel two fourteen. Get to Joel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Right, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Get to Amos, Obadiah. You've gone too far. Joel. And Joel two. What a powerful chapter. We're looking ahead to uh, wrath, blowing a trumpet in Zion. We're looking forward to tribulation, Armageddon, all the things that it's going to take uh, to bring about Israel's repentance. And yet, even now, well, if I get lost in this chapter, we'll spend the rest of the week here because you've got uh, this army that's approaching, this army of locusts that look like horses that nothing can stop them and uh yeah they're on the way they are on the way and even worse yahweh is leading them as it says in verse 11 the lord utters his voice before his army surely his camp is very great for strong is he who carries out his word the day of the lord is indeed great and very awesome and who can endure it who's going to survive the day of the lord who's going to survive the tribulation not many Yet, even now, declares the Lord. Yet, even now. Is it, is it too late? Is it ever too late? You've lived a pagan life for 99 years and 11 months and 29 days. and <laughs> you know, you're, uh, Tomorrow is your 100th birthday. You've been an unbeliever the whole time and you're on your deathbed. Even now, can you believe in Jesus Christ to receive eternal life? I believe so. Yet now, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. This is Joel 2 and verse 12, Joel 2 and verse uh, 12, 13 and 14. We're looking at uh, the drink offering of this passage. And it's got to be a true repentance. It's a heart repentance. It's not a phony show. It's not, uh, you know, rending your garments and impressing every, everybody with how, externally repentant you are and uh, how you make your face look sad and how you you fast and and you make a big show about your prayers and your almsgiving and your uh everything else you're doing rend your heart and not your garments return to the lord your god for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in loving kindness relenting of evil and who knows god knows who knows whether he will not turn and relent And leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. How about that? What the Lord has to look forward to in the consequence of national repentance, in the consequence of what Israel has to look forward to. You know, Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he said, I've been looking forward to this cup, okay, looking forward to the millennium, in other words. But the cup he has to drink first, he has to go to the cross. He says, I'm not going to drink this cup again until I drink it with you, new in the kingdom. he have been looking forward to it. But he's going to take things in their proper order and not defy the will of the Father. Anyway, this is Paul using this language, priestly language of libation. And he uses it to describe his anticipated death. He'll do so again when he really does die in Second Timothy. Second Timothy 4.6. Second Timothy 4.6. Now in Philippians, it was still a maybe. In Philippians, well maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm going to live, maybe I'm going to die. In, in 2 Timothy, there's no more maybe. In 2 Timothy, he is fully assured and he is fully uh, informed that he is departing. And so it's his last will and testament. He wants Timothy to arrive before it's too late. And uh, he gives his final charge to the young man, Timothy, that's going to take over. And this is uh, commonly used in ordination services, commonly used in, uh, in uh, different contexts for that. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and by His kingdom. Everybody's called into account, the living and the dead. And uh, he says, preach the word. This is his final exhortation to Timothy. The young pastor is going to take over. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For uh, the 21st century is on its way. (laughs) Uh, The time will come, here we go, our culture in a nutshell, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And uh, Christians will start to uh, turn pulpits into popularity contests and will start to exalt and magnify the ear ticklers. And you start to get uh, the entertainers will rise to prominence. Whereas faithful preachers they are going to stay faithful in season and out of season. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The latest fad, the latest book, the latest movie, the latest, uh, you know, whatever. From Da Vinci Code to Purpose Driven to you name it. All these things. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You may end up wearing multiple hats. Timothy was a pastor teacher. Had to do the work of an evangelist. Because the volunteers are getting thin. You know, when Paul was ministering, he had an apostle, he had a prophet, he had an evangelist, he had a pastor teacher, he had a bunch of men with him. He had miracle workers, he had uh, gifts of tongues and, and interpretation of tongues. And as he was uh, founding the Corinthian ministry, they had all 20 of the permanent spiri- of the church spiritual gifts there, 9 temporary, 11 permanent spiritual gifts. They had all of them in Corinth. They were not lacking even one spiritual gift in Corinth. Wow. <laughs> Timothy, not so much. Um, finding the the volunteers uh, hard to come by. And so what do you do? If you don't have an evangelist, do it yourself. If you don't have an exhorter, do it yourself. If you don't have the gift of giving, do it yourself. Or do without. <laughs> what do you do? You do what you can with what you got. And uh, so be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And so he's offering this drink offering, and he's actually offering it on Timothy's behalf. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And so decide. Decide you know where you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it. If it's, uh, if it's clear to you that this is your final assignment, then how are you going to spend it? If these are your final hours, if these are your final days, where are you going to spend it and what are you going to spend it doing? Figure out where your drink offering is going to be poured. Is, is it going to be poured on somebody else's sacrifice? I expect so. Who's going to be making that sacrifice? Who are you going to share your joy with? Be involved in ministry. Now in Philippians, Paul thought that it was going to be poured out on their sacrifice. Turned out it wasn't the case. He lived. Now he's pouring it out on Timothy's sacrifice. See how this works? And so when someone is is dying, I shared this a couple weeks ago when we sang the the hymn Higher Ground. And uh, Higher Ground was uh, a favorite hymn in my childhood. It was a favorite hymn of of a man by the name of Fred Mailer who none of you have met, but um, you'll meet him in heaven. Fred was was a powerful brother and uh, served as a deacon in different ways and had a gift of helps that he found. He was really a server minister that would come alongside different people and and just dedicate himself to them at different times. And um, got a brain tumor. Got a brain tumor when I was in high school and uh, struggled with that for about three years and decided as long as he had this brain tumor that he was going to, whatever length length of time God was going to give him, that he wanted to serve the Lord. And uh, until such time as he lost his mind or lost his thinking, um, as long as he could think, he had terrible migraines, terrible head uh, issues and uh, but as long as he could think, he wanted to uh, share scriptures, he wanted to encourage, he wanted to talk to other believers, wanted to give the gospel to unbelievers. He then reached a point where um, the tumor grew, and by the time he died, it was within his skull was like I forget the ratio, but it was more tumor than brain. I mean, the thing was just a, an octopus. It was hideous. And it affected him. It affected his thinking. It affected his attitude. He became very vile, very angry, very dark, foul mouthed, ugly in his speech. And we were, of course, all praying for him. The whole church was praying for him. We love Fred. We love his wife, Ellen. His son was, was my best friend, Ari Mailer, growing up. And, um, and so this, this story um, I, you know, I can't tell you the impact that it had because here's the thing, shortly before he died God graced him out and he got, his, he got his mind back. He was the old Fred again. He was clear thinking, he was quiet, he was gentle. And in the hospital he would bring us kids in. Ari got to go in by himself, I got to go in by myself. Uh, and some of the other kids, teenagers, he would bring in in groups of two or three or whatever and he had words for all of us and i tell you it was i'll never forget it because um fred was 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 brutal <laughs> he in love speaking the truth in love and why sugarcoat anything he's you know he's going to be with the lord and uh as far as uh, you know this might hurt your feelings but you got to hear this and uh, and he was just blunt told me straight up that i was a disappointment to my parents Told me straight up that I was carnal, that I was not walking in the Word of God, and uh, that I was an arrogant teenager, and uh, and that I needed to be humbled. I needed to be repentant. I needed to get back in the Word of God, and uh, he was right, totally right. (laughs) And then April seventh is when, uh, in nineteen eighty seven, is when he passed away, and and uh, Ari became the man of the house. He was uh, sixteen, I think. Yeah, That's a different story too. Ari doesn't even know how old he is. Doesn't even know his birthday. They just guessed. Born in the jungles of, of Indonesia and they brought him to a Christian missionaries and, and uh, he came to the States and they weren't exactly sure how old he was. They, they, they guessed based upon the size. They said, well this little guy looks to be about six months old. So they guessed and they gave him a January 1st birthday. And uh, in later years they kind of learned maybe he was, maybe he was 14 months old. <laughs> he was just malnourished and small. They had no idea. So anyway, he uh, became the man of the house at 16. Had to take care of his mother and his grandmother and, and uh, grew up quickly. But this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about pouring out yourself as a libation, as a sacrifice. That's what Fred did. He spent his dying hours ministering to the teenagers at uh, Evergreen Baptist Church. Say. And, uh, and uh, that's what we're talking about. So, my mother had something similar in her experience. A lot of people do that. I think Mike had that. I think a lot of folks, they want to know, they want to serve while they can, doing what they can. Mike uh, Snyder was really eager to get some of the, the media projects finished that he was working on so that Kevin would have them after he was gone and, uh, and so forth. So, what am I going to spend my time doing? And, uh, and uh, is it going to be ministering to the saints at Austin Bible Church? Is it going to be ministering to, you know, where is God going to put me? And what am I going to spend my time doing? Where is my, my uh, drink offering going to be poured? Okay? And that's what he's saying here. So this is the language of Libation. And he welcomes the Philippians to join in his rejoicing. Is there human sorrow? Of course there's human sorrow. Yes, there's human sorrow. But there's also divine rejoicing. Let him who rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Now we're not baking cakes and throwing parties and going, woohoo, Paul's dying. Okay? But it is a time of celebration. The joy is blended. It is mixed with the sorrow. We grieve but not as the rest who have no hope. So our grieving is with hope. It's with joy. It's with the rejoicing. And it's with a shared rejoicing. We can share the joy. And we better learn how to do this. Share the joy. And so Paul welcomed the Philippians to join in his rejoicing. In fact, as we share the joy, sometimes we get to sing the Amen chorus. We get to sing the Hallelujah chorus and uh, as the uh, the language is used here. So Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Acts 5, 41, 1 Peter 4, 14 and 16. And then not a Bible verse, but in the church fathers, we have Ignatius, uh, the letter of Ignatius to the Romans. And in Ignatius was martyred, and in his martyrdom, he, uh, he um, describes some of these things. So we'll talk about that. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to wrap this up today after all. How about that? Assuming I get through this slide in uh, 17 minutes. All right, Matthew chapter 5. These are the Beatitudes, the blessed are, blessed are. It's really happy are, happy are. And so uh, studies on happiness ought to include uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, we have them in Psalms. We have them in, uh, Jesus is recording this one here. This, this would be in the Psalms if it was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, but written in Greek, so it's in our New Testament. Uh, so blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And notice how it's all third person in the early verses. The poor in spirit those who mourn, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, okay? But now notice, when we get to 10 and following, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the very final, those guys, the very final third-person verse gets a uh, second-person um, Address as well. Blessed are you. <laughs> okay? So, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And speaking of persecution, blessed are you. And now Jesus turns to his disciples and the, the people he was speaking to. It gets very personal. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. You see two different things there? Rejoice and be glad. The problem is we conflate those. We think that rejoicing equals emotional gladness. It's not. The emotions is secondary to the spiritual function of rejoicing. Rejoicing is a priestly function. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so turn it into a, a priestly sacrifice. They're calling you names. They're, they're afflicting you. Well, take all those attacks and give them to the Lord. Cast all your burdens upon him. He cares for you. So they call you whatever. Cast it upon him. Offer it up as a sweet, smiling savor. Rejoice. Offer, offer joy. Offer thanksgiving. Praise Thank, uh, Praise the Lord because the persecution is on behalf of Christ and we see it there can you can you can we do that not easy to do it not fun to do it but if we have the mind of Christ if we have the right perspective then we count it a privilege we count it an honor wow in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you so welcome to the club <laughs> okay wow i'm part of a fraternity here never been in a fraternity before here's my fraternity The persecuted ones. Thank you, Lord. Okay? Because if they're attacking me for naming the name of Christ, that means I've named the name of Christ effectively. (laughs) They know who I am and they know why they don't like me. They know the name that I name. And so, okay, there it is. Acts 5.41. And uh, this is curious to me too, because Peter and John are getting arrested and they're being told, you know, don't preach Jesus. And then they preach Jesus and they get in more trouble. And, and, and then they, they um, take counsel. And kind of their politics is interesting. It gives us an, uh, an insight into uh, Pharisee politics here and what Gamaliel has to say. I don't, I, I don't know. If Gamaliel is, is regenerate, he's, he's Old Testament regenerate, uh, as an Old Testament believer. Um, there are legends, of course, that like Nicodemus, he is brought into the church age and becomes a, a believer in Jesus. But I don't think this chapter betrays that um, clearly. Um, but he, he does have a divine viewpoint here saying we can't fight against God. If God is doing something, we can't, we can't thwart it. We can't fight against God. So his recommendation is leave these guys alone. If, if God's not with them, then they're going to they're gonna fade away. If God is with them, then uh, we can't thwart that, and we better readjust what we're thinking about in, uh, in that. So they took his advice in verse 40, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. <laughs> you know, kind of standard procedure, just, you know, we're going to dismiss the charges, we're going to release you, but in the meantime, let's get one more flogging in before we dismiss the charges and, and release you. So, um, yeah, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing, having just been flogged, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. No, not happy to be flogged, not happy. I mean, that, that hurts, but. Wow, I've been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. That's a privilege. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They didn't stop preaching Jesus. It just emboldened them to preach Him all the more. Rejoicing. And so it's a shared rejoicing. 1 Peter 4, 14 and 16. Make sure you suffer as a Christian, not as a... If you're suffering as a, crime, as a criminal, well, then you're suffering as a criminal. That's a, different, that's a different issue. But if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, if you're a murderer and they're reviling you as a murderer, or you committed a crime and they're reviling you as a criminal, and you're getting your divine discipline, you're getting your deserved suffering on that basis, that's a different discussion. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. If you've got that reputation working against you, well then that's, that's a different thing. But if anyone suffers as a Christian he is not to be ashamed but he is to glorify God in this name. And so those days may be coming because we, we don't hide what we teach. We post what we teach on the website. If they want to accuse us of hate crimes or whatever, uh, they've got all the evidence they want. You're sitting there on the website. And I hope they listen to it. Okay, So there it is. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. So don't be ashamed. Glorify God in this name. As you suffer for it, glorify Him. As you suffer for it, rejoice. And share that rejoicing. Other people get to offer up the the, uh, sacrifice. They get to join in your sacrifice. Corporate worship includes such amen choruses. Okay? Fred Mailer is still bearing fruit today because I told his story again today. (laughs) So his reward's not finished yet. That's why I think the the Bima can't happen until the trumpet sounds, until the entire bride is raptured. Because, you know, if you think Fred's done bearing fruit, what does it say about Abel? Though dead, he still speaks. Abel's still bearing fruit. Fred's still bearing fruit. If, uh, if there's my mother's still bearing fruit, if, there's, if you have a family member that's in heaven, a loved one, and they have blessed you, they keep on blessing you, don't they? How powerful is that? And so uh, we get to offer some amen choruses. We get to, uh, to join in the rejoicing. Now there's a very interesting uh, piece in the church fathers on this, and it's Ignatius to the Romans, uh, which is not in your Bible. But I do have it, Ignatius to the Romans. I'm glad we got time to go through this here this morning. And I'm headed for 2-2, is that right? But it's a short book. All of the church fathers wrote short books. Ignatius 2-2. Now remember, this is not the Bible, okay? Okay. So don't feel like it's God-breathed and inspired. But the language that it uses comes from the Bible, primarily from the New Testament, from the apostles. So uh, Ignatius, who is called Theophorus, God-bearer like Christophorus is Christ-bearer. Theophorus is God-bearer. To the church that has found mercy in the majesty of the Father Most High and Jesus Christ, His only Son, beloved and enlightened through the will of Him who willed all things that exist. In accordance with faith and in love for Jesus Christ our God, which also presides in the place of the district of the Romans, worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of blessing, worthy of praise, worthy of success, worthy of sanctification and presiding over love, observing the law of Christ, bearing the name of the Father, which I also greet in the name of Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, to those... Now you know this is not God-breathed and inspired because the Holy Spirit is much more uh, to the point. (laughs) All right, But the early fathers, they could get pretty wordy. To those who are united in flesh and spirit, to every commandment of His, who have been filled with the grace of God without wavering and filtered clear of every alien color. That's interesting, isn't it? Heartiest greetings blamelessly in Jesus Christ, our God. So that's his introduction, and he's writing to the Romans, all right? Then uh, he says, since by praying to God, I have succeeded in seeing your godly faces, so that I have received more than I asked, for I hope to greet you in chains for Jesus Christ, if it is his will for me to be reckoned worthy to reach the goal. So, because he's from the East, he's from Antioch, and the idea that he could meet them face to face was a dream. And he evidently got to do that at some point in the past. Now he gets to do so again in chains. If God lets him live that long. If God lets him get there. For the beginning is auspicious, provided that I attain the grace to receive my fate without interference. In other words, he's asking for dying grace here. For I'm afraid of your love that in that it may do me wrong. For it is easy for you to do what you want, but it is difficult for me to reach God unless you spare me. You know, sometimes we, uh, we get contradictory in our prayer life. We pray, we pray, we pray, spare him, spare him, keep them alive, keep him alive. And that's not what Ignatius was praying for. For I do not want you to please men, but please God, as you are in fact doing. For I will never again have an opportunity such as this to reach God, nor can you, If you remain silent, be credited with a greater accomplishment. So if he gets to be martyred in Rome, in chains, it's going to be an opportunity like he's never had before. And he's looking forward to it. But unless they can thwart it somehow, unless they can pull some strings, unless they can speak up or say something or get him rescued or get the charges dismissed or somehow end the whole assignment. For if you remain silent and leave me alone, I will be a word of God. But if you love my flesh, then I will again be a mere voice. So he'll be a completed message or he'll just be uh, an incomplete voice. Grant me nothing more than to be poured out as an offering to God. See, that's the language of this sin offering. That's the, uh, the pouring out, the libation that Paul spoke of. So it wasn't just Jesus. It wasn't just Paul. The early church fathers understood this language. They understood what the cup was about. Grant me nothing more than to be poured out as an offering to God while there is still an altar ready, so that in love you may form a chorus and sing to the Father in Jesus Christ. Because God has judged the bishop from Syria worthy to be found in the West, having summoned him from the East. Remember in the early centuries, Antioch was a center, Jerusalem was a center, And they were in the east. Alexandria was a center in the east. Constantinople and then Rome in the west. It is good to be setting from the world to God in order that I may rise to Him. Anyway, it goes on. If you want to read the rest of this, I would encourage you. There's ten of these. Each one of these is a chapter, so there's chapter 3 already. There's chapter 4 already. I'm writing to all the churches and I'm insisting to everyone that I die for God of my own free will unless you hinder me. I implore you, do not be unreasonably kind to me. Anyway, let me be food for the wild beasts. From Syria all the way to Rome, I'm fighting with wild beasts. Anyway, there's 10 of these chapters. And if you don't have access to this, let me know. I'll make a PDF for you and send it to you. Or you can read it in the church library. I know we've got the apostolic fathers in there. All right. So we have that, the Amen Chorus. And Paul welcomed the Philippians to join in his rejoicing. On Wednesday we're going to come back and we'll be ready now to tackle the rest of chapter 2, which is uh, verses 19 through 30, the travel plans. He says, "...but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly." So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So it's a complete change of context, change of thought. Um, it's a clear new section. Um, and uh, the purpose for sending Timothy and the purpose for sending Epaphroditus. And so we'll, uh, we'll move on to that Wednesday night. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the priestly language, Father, that we learn in this, in this chapter. I pray that we would learn more. And we know that there is more coming up in the book of Hebrews, Father. We're going to learn about our priesthood in Christ, the Melchizedek priesthood in Christ. And the uh, the doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I pray that we would learn about the uh, the rejoicing and the sacrifice of thanksgiving and the sacrifice of joy. And all the various spiritual offerings that we offer up sweet-smelling savors before you. Teach us how to do these things, how to operate with our great high priest, how we enter within the veil, that our our true worship happens within the veil, Father. And um, I thank you for the book of Hebrews that teaches us these things. So uh, put it together with what we're learning here, put it together with what we learn in Proverbs and every study that we do, Father. Make the whole counsel of the Word of God come together to shape us, to grow us, to equip us. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.